Thank you, Lord, for this time, this evening that you have allowed us to um, assemble together. We pray that you open our minds and our hearts to what God has laid for us uh, this evening regarding the foundations that is very essential, especially in the world and the times that we live in today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Why Psalm 1 when talking about foundations? Why? I mean, I could have went to Genesis, the next chapter, and so on and so forth. Um, well, Scripture has a beginning. And if it's true in the beginning, if it's uh, speaking the truth there, maybe it's also speaking the truth in the ending. It has an ending, too. In the middle, there's wars. There's sorrows, but there's also joys. There's blessings. There is salvation in this book. Amen? There's a lot of emotions going on. And the book of Psalms, if I may call it the book of Psalms, because I don't believe these Psalms are just a random collection that's thrown there without any particular order. There's unity in the canonical form that we have here today. It also has a beginning, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Those set the stage for the rest of it. It also has an ending, the last uh, four or five psalms that are an explosion of praise. And it ends with every breath, everything that has breath, praise the Lord, an explosion of praise. And in the middle, you also find blessings, you find praises, you find sorrows, you find laments, you find thanksgiving. So it's like a small miniature version of the scripture. You also find, for example, in Psalm 51, Psalm 32, a model prayer for salvation, repentance of sin, going to the Lord for, the for, for forgiveness. So that's why today I chose, when speaking about foundations, to go to the foundation of the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. I'm going to read verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Notice something. Blessed is the man. Singular. One. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Plural. Many. Ungodly. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Not a sinner. Sinners. Plural. Nor sitteth in the seat of the also scornful plural. So here we have the setting. One righteous person against an army, an army of ungodly, scornful, those who scorn at God's words, those who sin deliberately, willfully by ignoring it. So here we have the setting. It's not fair. If this was a war, it's not fair. This is exactly what's happening today in the world. Right now, I'm going to call this, as verse 5 calls it, the congregation of the righteous. Okay? We are all in one accord. We all agree on this. But if you go to the world out there, especially the young ones, when you go to uh, colleges and start work and things like that, you're going to find that you might be the only person 
that believes that there is something here that is written by God, that this is supernatural. You might be the only person that believes that the baby inside a mother's womb is a real human being. You might be the only person who believes that there's, they call it pro-choice, they put a positive name to it. You might be the only person who believes that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Going back again to the foundations, God created them man and woman. You might be the only one and you're gonna be surrounded by the ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. What's gonna happen? You are one person surrounded by all this evil. Verse number two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. This is like a ladder, this verse. It's the same idea written in two different ways. Right? Let's, let's look at it. His delight. This is the, the beauty of the Psalms, the beauty of um, poetry. It gives you the idea in a poetic way. So it, it uh, attaches to your feelings. You feel it. His delight is in the law of the Lord. See, it starts with his delight. We delight in the law of the Lord. The second sentence starts with the law of the Lord and then goes back to the first one like a staircase up and down. It's, and says, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditate, read, uh, absorb, breathe it in, talk about it, speak about it, think about it, day and night. That's what this man is doing in verse 1. So now, verse 3. And he shall be like a tree. Pastor actually um, referred to this verse um, earlier on a few weeks ago. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. A tree planted by the rivers of water. Verse 2, if you want to compare verse 3 and verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is standing like a tree. If this tree is being fed by rivers of water, these rivers in verse 2 are the rivers of living water, God's word, his law. If you want to do a comparison between the verses, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He is in it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, living water. Scripture. Notice three descriptions that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. Number one. Okay? Number one, he has fruit. Number two, his leaf also shall not wither. Number two, his leaf shall not wither. Number three, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatever he does, he will succeed. Does this mean financially? No, whatever he wants to do is what God laid on his heart. That's what he wants to do. If all, what, if all he wants to do is financial success, then I really doubt that God is in his heart. I really doubt that he is delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. What, whatever he doeth shall prosper. Everything he does shall prosper because whatever he does is what God laid on his heart and God will make it prosper through him. Number four, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. 
I want you to notice something. Where's the description? Let me give you an example. Sunday morning, I come here to Beacon. Sunday night, I have a youth ministry at another church that God laid on my heart, so you, you don't see me here. Um, that youth ministry is a church that speaks Arabic, but the youth speak English. The parents, they're not very good with English, so I'm the, like the only person who's really capable of teaching the youth uh, in English the, the things that they need to be taught. Otherwise, they're going to church playing basketball outside. There's nothing for them. So let me describe these two churches. In morning, we come to Beacon. Beacon is an amazing church, right? They preach the scriptures. We have Sunday morning uh, Bible studies where we split up into smaller groups, and every group goes and does a Bible study. We fellowship. After that, the sermon is a biblical sermon. The hymns are biblical hymns. Well, they also have um, a ministry. They go knocking doors every uh, Saturday morning. They go knocking on doors. They uh, spread Bible tracts. They have, um, uh, once a month, the men come together uh, and do a prayer uh, meeting. Not to mention the activities for youth. They have VBS. They, ha they have so many things. It's a godly church. Okay, let me say the church in the evening, we go there. I can't wait till the sermon finishes so I can go home. That's it. I, sp I just spent two, three minutes describing Beacon. And in one sentence, in a negative way, I described the second church. Do you see what I did? I'm not giving that other church its rights, right? Because of the small amount of words that I used to describe the second church, you can see that it's, it's not important just by the amount of words that I used, not to mention the, the negative tone of these words. I didn't say the second church. They actually have, they get um, a mailing list, an address list of all the Muslims in the neighboring cities, and they send them Bibles to Muslims by mail. They, they, have, you know, they have this and they have that, and they have Bible studies, the sermon, just less than two hours, and we don't really want it to finish. At eight, two hours every Sunday, yes. And when the sermon finishes, the prayer has a mini-sermon after it that's 15 minutes long. And we're still thirsty. That's, that's how I feel. Maybe it'll be late at night, but I'm still thirsty. There's a lot of good things I can say about that church. But see what I did? One sentence. Let me read this again for you. Verse number three, describing the righteous, and he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water, bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, whatsoever he does, it shall prosper. Verse four, the ungodly, they're just, oof, they're blown away. Yeah, like the chaff, like wheat. The number of words in verse four, at least you... Maybe if you want to describe the ungodly in negative ways, the least I expected is the same amount of words. That one sentence, there's no description, except a small image that they're like wheat, like the chaff. The wind comes, they're blown away. Verse 3, the righteous is a tree. A hurricane comes, it stays in its place. 
because it's being fed by the rivers of water of God's word, like a tree. The ungodly, like the chaff. Hoof. Goodbye. See, see how they're, they're not even important to describe them. Not important to describe them. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, verse 5, nor sinners in the, what did I say, congregation of the righteous. Again, you can see the staircase, but this time going up and then going up again. The same uh, idea in two different ways, poetically. So it attaches to our hearts and it uh, tingles our feelings, if you will. So we can understand the imagery more, okay? The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Same thing again. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. If the ungodly and the sinners are equated together in here, what's interesting is that the judgment should be equated to the congregation of the righteous. You. Not God judges them. Well, that's, yeah, we can go to other parts of Scripture where God is the judge. But in this verse... They shall not stand, not against God, but in the congregation of the righteous. Who's doing the judging? You. Notice verse 1. The man. One. Against the army. The multitudes. In verse 5, this one person becomes a congregation. You are not alone. There is a congregation. There are numbers and multitudes of people who share your faith throughout history. God's people are numerous. There's a lot more sinners, a lot more people who choose the wide and easy path, not the narrow road, but the people who choose the narrow road will become a congregation. One person in verse 1 against an army. That one person is the only one standing in verse 3. He is the only one who brings fruits. In verse 4, what happens to the whole army? What happens to the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful? They're blown away like the chaff. Any small wind like this blows them away. No fruits. Whatsoever he doeth does not prosper. Verse 6. This is now the first time the Lord is introduced. Okay? The law of the Lord is spoken of in verse 2. The last verse, verse 6, now he is the person of the Lord. The, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You see the same uh, idea in two different ways. But this time, the way of the righteous is contrasted with the way of the ungodly. But look how it's, it's um, worded. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous. If you want to say in, in English grammar, the boy went to the school. There is a verb. There is a noun, a person who's doing the verb. And then there's the uh, adverb after it, to the school. The boy is the noun, the person. He went, the verb, to the school. Notice it's for the Lord, the noun, knoweth, the verb he knows, to know something, the way of the righteous. Look at the next sentence. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. Where is the noun? 
The way of the ungodly is the noun, not the ungodly. That's the poetry, that's the beauty of this verse. That's how it grabs your attention. The way itself, not the ungodly who is walking on the way. That's how the sentence is structured. The way itself is like a person, personalized, walking itself towards perishing, towards destruction. Let's read it again. For the Lord, the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That's just a poetic way to say the ungodly shall perish, but it's, it's, um, it's very poetic. grabs your attention. So if you're sleeping, not paying attention, now you hear something, yeah, hey, what, what, what is that? That doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, now it makes sense. Yeah, you wake up. The ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. Um, a show of hands in the, the youth, especially from the youth. You guys are paying attention, right? Which verse, you have the Bibles in front of you, which verse is, I want to say, the theological center of the psalm? Which verse contains the main, main idea? Uh, show of hands, you guys. Don't be shy. Shall I call you out by name? Okay, who says verse 1? Raise your hand. Nobody. Verse 3. Anyone pay attention? Verse 3. Why? He's like a tree planted by the river. That's a very important verse, right? So it's describing the righteous. But you see, the verse 1 is also describing the righteous and the ungodly. Verse 4 is describing the ungodly. Verse 5 also describes both the righteous and the ungodly. But verse 6 also describes the righteous and the ungodly. There's a contrast between them. So verse 3 is the same as all the others. It describes the righteous. It's a good verse, but I'm looking for a different answer. Who says verse, verse 2? No one. Who says verse 6? Verse 6, good. Who says verse 5? I know you guys have different opinions. I'm looking at the youth because I want them to pay attention, engage. Let me tell you in my opinion, it's verse 2. Let's read it again. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Why? Why verse 2? Because the verse 1 says, blessed is the man, that's the righteous who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful, the scornful. Who makes the righteous righteous? How does the righteous become the righteous? Remember, we're talking about foundations here, so I'm going to show you how this uh, clicks in. How can you, the better question, how can you make sure that you are one of those who are righteous? Who, how did the righteous become righteous? Right? Verse 3, he shall be like a tree. It's describing the righteous, but how can you be one of them? Verse 4 describes the ungodly. How can you not be one of them? Right? Verse 5, there's a contrast between unrighteous and righteous. Same thing, verse 6. This is my question. How can you make sure that you are included in this congregation of the righteous? It's verse number 2. 
This is what makes the righteous a righteous person. His delight is not in the counsel of the ungodly, like verse 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you are in God's word, soaking it up, if you are addicted to God's word, you can't wait for the hour to come where all your responsibilities are put aside and you finished everything you have to do and you open God's word and you breathe it and you eat from it. You can't wait. You are, you desire so much not to sleep at night so that you can wake up and either pray or read God's word. That's how you become one of those congregation of the righteous. That's the only way that you can stand in a world filled with ungodly sinners who are scornful um, when it comes to God's word. This is your roadmap. Verse 2 is the theological center of the psalm. This psalm is about God's words. Look at what God's word is doing. It makes you one of those righteous. Now, I don't want to make too much of verse 1. It says the man, first he is walking, then he is standing, then he is sitting. It's, it's not like a progression. It's just saying the same thing in three different ways for poetic purposes, to emphasize. So it's, it's, I don't want to really emphasize and stress the difference between them. There's no difference between the ungodly, the sinners, and the scornful. These are the same group of people. They scorn, they're ungodly, they sin, and you can describe them in any other way. Unrighteous. So what is the counsel of the ungodly? Well, these days, it is so much worse than I've imagined 10 years ago, in my days, 10 years ago, five years ago. So much worse when someone has, is, has been given the right to determine whether they are a man or a woman. They call it, again, a positive word, gender identity. It's like identity, your identity is a positive. No, if you are a man, you are a man. If you have the chromosomes of a woman, you're a woman. God decided whether you are a man or a woman. If you go out of that, you're going outside of God's design. Right? Well, someone might say, well, you're not hurting anyone. If um, you're a man, but you want to be called she did this or she did that. Or you want to refer uh, as her. You want to use these pronouns. You're not really hurting anyone. But... The definition of sin is not whether you hurt someone or not. The definition of sin is whether you go against God's words. There's a lot of words used for sin. I'm going to show you one of them in Scripture. One of the words means missing the mark. You have a mark in front of you, you're aiming, but you're missing the mark because you deliberately aimed at the wrong mark. Okay, you, you didn't just try to get it, but you didn't. You deliberately aimed at the wrong mark. Another word for sin is you're trespassing a line. There's a line in front of you, and you stepped over it. Another word is this, there's a straight path, and you went to the right, or you skewed to the left. You're not walking the straight path. 
Another word is uh, treason, right? You should be loyal to something, but you're not. Sin is basically replacing God with something else. Replacing God's word with something else. But there is one word for sin that is used for the most dangerous of sins. And that word is abomination. What is an abomination? The Bible describes just a few sins with this term, abomination. One of them is worshiping another god. Standing in front of a statue of gold or silver or wood or stone and worshiping that statue, praying for it. That's an abomination in God's word. Another abomination is throwing your newborn child in the fire as a sacrifice to another god. Not exactly abortion, but you you can see the similarity there. It's interesting that... um, I'm going to read this verse. It doesn't call murder abomination. It doesn't call adultery this, this particular word, even though these are really big sins. But there is a sin that is referred to as an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 22, I'm going to read it for you, verse 5. The woman shall not wear, listen to this, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. One of the biggest sins you can commit as a man to come to church with a dress, with a woman's dress. Why? The clothing is not the sin. If you come wearing the clothing of the other gender, you are identifying yourself as the other gender. That's the message that you want to proclaim. That's the message you want to send out. You are a man, but you want to tell everybody else, I want to be referred to as a woman. This is exactly what they call gender identity today. So get that verse Know where it is, because you're going to be living that. You're going to be using that. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. It's not just any sin. It's called, for, the, for all that do so are abomination. Very surprising. This is an abomination? This. You're not hurting anyone, but you are directly going against God's command. You can't be ignorant about this because even sins of ignorance, you are culpable for it because you should have known there's no shortage of of Bibles. You can't say, I didn't know. You, You didn't read it. It's there. Even the sins that you commit in ignorance is still your fault. You shouldn't be ignorant. You should be reading this. Verse 2 says, he delights in the law of the Lord. I like it when I see you guys, the youth, with actual physical Bibles. I didn't know what to expect when I came here. I thought you would be on the phones. And uh, there's not, nothing wrong with the Bible on the phone, but let me tell you what's wrong with it. Next, <laughs> Next to the Bible app, what do you have on your phone? Now, this is the true uh, test. Next to the Bible app, 
Is there a social media app? Is there a game? Is there, I mean, I know these things can be addicted, addictive, right? And if you want to spend time reading your Bible, and I'm, I'm speaking to you young guys, because us older generation, we might not have the same struggles that you guys have, but I know that Facebook and other social media sites are addictive. They steal your time. You want to read the Bible, but instead of clicking here, you click here. Right? It's so easy because they're so close together. So easy. Right? And then you want to read the Bible, definitely. And, and honestly, you really want to do it, but you find yourself gravitating to that which you can be addicted to. And you find yourself looking at pictures and words that other people are putting. And, and you, you think there's, this is not sin. There's nothing wrong with it, but it steals your time and your energy and your mind and your focus. So even if you do click on the Bible app, you just want to read it quickly, get it done, so that you can go to the social media app. Right? And what are your parents going to think when they look at you looking at a phone all day long and then they ask, what are you doing? Oh, I'm reading the Bible. But if your parents look at you with this on a table, phones away, are they going to be happier, right? I'm, I'm happy to see all these Bibles. Everyone has a Bible, open Bible. Let, let, me, let me read this verse. Um, here, it's just uh, on the next page. Deuteronomy 25. Remember, verse 17. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt. God's people came out of Egypt. And this is for you guys. Amalek, that nation, warred against them. Verse 18, it says, How he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, the back of that nation, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. This is how Satan wants to tempt you guys today. Satan doesn't play fair when he plays war, okay? I want you to understand this. He is never going to come to you and tempt you to, to rob a bank. He knows that you have been brought up in this church. He knows your parents. He knows your family. He knows your values. He is never going to tempt you to kill someone or to steal something. He is never going to come face to face with you on the strong point and tempt you to do drugs. That's not going to happen. Are, are you going to do that? No, of course not. What's he going to do? What did he do here? The nation of God's people, the nation of Israel, came out of Egypt. There's a lot of people there, right? There's a beginning, there's an ending. In the beginning of them, who's going to be at the beginning? Those who are strong, soldiers, army, those who are able to stand hunger and thirst and keep continue walking, walking. Who's going to be in the end? The elderly, the people who need help walking, the ones who are... Uh, not as strong. That's what it says here. He went, where did he smite? Satan will not face you face to face. He will go around you and look at your weak spots and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee. 
He is not going to tempt you to do drugs, but he will put that Facebook app or that other social media app or that game that is addictive right next to the Bible app on your phone. And you don't think that you're doing anything wrong, but he is stealing your time. So that's Psalm 1, verse 2. He knows that you can only be part of the congregation of the righteous if your delight is in social media. No, no, no. If your delight is in the law of the Lord, you have to be addicted to the law of the Lord. It has to be the opposite way around. If you want to look at social media, you have to be like social media. Okay, quickly, quickly, quickly. I want to finish because I'm addicted to God's words. That's how it should be. So foundations. Yes, abortion is murder. Yes, gender identity is wrong. Yes, God created everything in six days. Evolution says millions of years, right? Yes, Jesus says he, he which created them at the beginning created them male and female. Evolution says there's been millions of years before male and female came. And how did they come at the same time? If, if evolution was the mindset, the, the machine that's going, it had to have created man and woman within the 100-year time frame. If, if it skipped it by 100 years, after so many millions of years, then uh, you just skipped it, just missed it. How did evolution create man and woman at the same time? The Bible says God did it in the beginning. Foundations. If evolution was true, then a lot of animals who, ev who they say evolved to be humans at the end, a lot of animals would have evolved, and then the, the strong ones, that's what they say, the strong ones, natural selection, the strong ones go on to have offspring and the weak ones die out. And that's how everything becomes stronger. And then the strong ones have offspring and the weak ones die out. They have to die. Otherwise, the gene pool gets mixed back together. Evolution is a religion of death. You cannot evolve unless natural selection selects the best ones. The other ones have to die. Otherwise, they get mixed up again. Bible says death came by sin. Romans chapter 5, Adam, the first man, sinned. If there was death before Adam was created, it means death is not the result of sin. Which means Christ died for nothing. If death is not the punishment for sin, then Christ's death on the cross does not remedy your sin situation. He did not take the punishment from you. If death existed before man ever was existing, before man made sin, it means death is not the result of sin. You can see evolution is not just some idea. Nobody can say God used evolution to create this because the God who uses evolution is a wasteful God who uses death and death and death over and over again, who goes against the words of Jesus because Jesus says not in a million of years, millions of years man was created. He was created in the beginning. 
evolution is actually serious. It puts death before sin. And if that's the case, death is not the punishment of sin. If it existed before the sin, if death is not the punishment for sin, Christ died for nothing. This goes against the foundation of salvation that we believe. We believe Adam and Eve, if they did not sin, we'd be in heaven today. But they sinned. They sinned. As a result of their sin came death. And Romans chapter 5 teaches us that, um, especially from verses 12 to 22, it teaches us that just like Adam's sin came to your account, was imputed onto your account, Christ's righteousness is imputed onto your account. If you don't think that it is just or it is fair for you to be punished because of Adam's sin, then it's not fair for you to be justified because of Christ's righteousness. They come together. It's good news for us Christians that Adam's sin came to us because in the same token, Christ's righteousness came to us. That's how Paul argues in, in chapter 5. Foundations. If the foundation of creation is destroyed, then the Bible says, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Yes, those are spoken by those who don't really trust God in that psalm, but it's still true. If the foundation in Genesis is destroyed, is wrong, then the whole Bible is in question. The whole Bible is um, put aside. But verse 2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. I want to give you an example of delighting in the law of the Lord. I want you to take this to heart and remember what I'm going to do now. Bible, closed. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the, no, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Six verses. Closed Bible. If you memorize one verse a day, it's easy to memorize it after you hear a sermon about it or a study about it, because you now understand it. If you memorize one verse a day, what are you going to be in 10 years from now? Wow. What, uh, what an amazing Christian you're going to be. What an amazing soldier you're going to be 20 years from now. If you have Bible verses in your pockets ready to bring out and use at will, let, let this be an example to you that memorizing Scripture is not just one verse, one verse, and then the next... Wednesday, you come here to uh, Beacon Kids Club, you memorize another verse. You might forget the verses last month. A whole psalm. It's just six verses. Easy to memorize when you understand it. Right? How amazing this will be if you guys recite this psalm to your parents one week from now.
you're going to find if you, if you actually go home and you put in your mind, I'm going to memorize one verse a day, I'm going to tell you, verse 1 is easy to memorize because it starts with walking, then standing, then sitting. It's easy. Verse 2, very easy to memorize. Verse 3, you just have to remember the three descriptions. He's planted by the rivers of water, but he's described as he brings fruit, his leaf will not wither, whatsoever he doeth will prosper. Verse 4, uh, the sh- very short verse. We, we saw why. When you memorize verse 5, you can't wait for the next day. You're going to find yourself verse- memorizing 5 and 6 in the same day. Because you, you just can't wait. I'm at 5. It's so easy. And I want to memorize the next verse. You're going to memorize it in 5 days, not 6. That's what you're going to feel like doing. Are you going to memorize this? One verse a day. If you listen to me, you will be blessed. This is what it means to delight in God's word. There cannot be a solid foundation in you guys if you do not have God's word in your hearts. They're already written in your hearts. Put them in your minds. Put them in your pockets so you can use them. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this solid foundation. Um, The earth is yours and the fullness thereof, because thou hast created it. You created this earth. Whatever is on it belongs to you, because you created it. We belong to you. You purchased us. You redeemed us by your blood. The devil says, I will give you to Jesus. I'll give you all of these. Does the devil own them? No. We don't build our theology on what the devil says. God says he created this earth. We know he did. He owns it. He owns us. We belong to him. Therefore, it is our heavenly duty to, to plant these foundations, especially in today's world, today's day and age, in our hearts, in our minds, because the one righteous person against the whole army, that one is going to succeed. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The rest are like chaff which the wind driveth away. God is looking over you, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You will have fruits. His delight is in the law of the Lord's. We want to squeeze the lemon to get the very last drop. We want to squeeze God's words like a lemon and get every last drop. You have to be selfish when it comes to wanting to know more about God's word and to keep it to you and to build it up so that then it will overflow and it's not going to be just for you. You have to stand one man army against the counsel of the ungodly, the way of the sinners, and the seat of the scornful. The Lord is with you. You're not alone. There is a congregation of the righteous who's going to stand in the judgment day doing the judging. And the ungodly shall not stand in the judgments. You have to get the foundations 
in your system. You have to digest them. It has to be, become part of the fabric of your being. The only way for you to be uh, solidly planted in the foundations is if you delight in God's law and meditate on it day and night. We owe this to our master, our savior, our redeemer, our friend. We call him our father. He understands. He understands. The world we are going through is not a surprise to him. He gave us everything we need to be a one-man army, a strong one-man army, until we come here as a congregation. You're not just one man. You're not just one woman. We come here as a congregation strong in God's words. Until we hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This, this is temporary. This world is temporary. Eternity is ahead of us, but we need to live eternity now. We need to live godly lives now. We need to be solidly planted in those foundations now. So we get the word of God and we open it. Lord, we thank you for it. It is readily available to us. In the name of our Master, Savior, our Lord, the Son of the living God. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.